Well, the title of the message this morning is uh, Power Encounters. So please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19 for a power encounter with the risen Lord Jesus through his word by the Holy Spirit who is here with us. So turn to Acts chapter 19, please. Beginning in verse 1. Power Encounters. Acts 19.1 And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue, And for three months spoke boldly, reasoning, and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. An amazing statement indeed. Verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Father, would you cause your word to increase and prevail mightily in my heart, so that I might preach it the way you want, 
and it would prevail and increase mildly in the hearts of my friends listening here this morning or later this week digitally. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text this morning is about the reality of the power and authority of the risen Lord Jesus to cause his word to increase and his church to grow as his people faithfully proclaim his word. We see this played out in six power encounters between the risen Lord Jesus and his delegated authorities, Paul or Paul's co-workers, And as they confront in these power encounters the unbelieving people of Ephesus and evil spirits that live in Ephesus and really throughout Asia. But before we look at these six power encounters, we need to ask ourselves a question. We need to ask ourselves if we are properly aware of and responding to the power and authority of the risen Lord Jesus today. Do you believe Jesus has power and authority over you right now? Or can you just do whatever you please at this moment? Do you submit to the power and authority of Jesus? Got to go there. Because this text... This text given to us by God is intended not just for us to read about six power encounters, but it's intended for God to encounter us powerfully this morning. He doesn't just want you to know about it. He wants you to experience his power encounter. And it will be different for each one of us. So many of us don't feel nor are we aware of the power or authority of Jesus. In the same way, that we really don't feel, nor are we aware, of the power and authority that holds our democratic society together here in the United States. We don't feel the power of our government that protects us. They're almost invisible. But think about it right now. There are military forces throughout this world protecting us. There are police right now protecting us. FBI, Homeland Security, they're out there, they're protecting us, but we're largely unaware of it. Think of the vast U.S. economy moving invisibly, but powerfully providing the goods and services we need to live. Think of the laws that exist to maintain order in our society. They largely go unnoticed, almost invisible, until they break down. Like when the power grid goes down after a hurricane in South Florida and all the streetlights are out. We suddenly notice them. We're aware of them now. Why? Because they're not working, and it's utter chaos when you get to an intersection. In the same way, you may not feel nor see the power and authority of the risen Lord Jesus, my friend. It is all around you right now. Jesus is holding the universe together. Jesus is protecting us. Jesus is providing for us. Jesus provides for the evil and the good. He gives them both reign. Jesus restrains evil and maintains order through God's laws meant for our good. And God calls us this morning to acknowledge it, but do more than that, to encounter it and to submit to it. Do you? Or are you like those and many who say, you know what? Does Jesus really have any sustaining power or authority over me, my life today? You know, if he does, where is it? I don't really feel it. 
and I could use it right now. I feel pretty much on my own, and I could use some help. Whether it's help with my individual life, and family, at work, in school, in the neighborhood, or perhaps our corporate life together. For those of us who are laboring, we're laboring together to see the word of the Lord increase in South Florida and the church grow with gospel growth. And we cry out, Lord, where are you? Where's your power? Where's your authority? At times I feel like one of the sons of Siva, metaphorically speaking, fleeing the house naked and wounded. I'm in a fight I wasn't ready for, man. Lord, show us your power. Show us your authority. Lord, show us how to win this city and make disciples by the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, God's burden for us today isn't that we would just see his power authority in this text. Oh, I hope you do. Hope you pay attention right now. Hope you see it right now. But, oh, friend, I hope even more that it grabs you. Beyond my words in this text, the Spirit of God gives you the joy of your own personal power encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. We need it. I need a power encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. See, by the power of the Holy Spirit who is present with us this morning and the truth of this text, God wants you and me to know and feel His power and His authority every second of every day through the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Christian, that power encounter has been to strengthen your faith that Jesus' sovereign power advances His word, His purpose, His kingdom, His church through His people who speak his word and live his word and believe his word here in South Florida. And that's the main point of the text. Jesus' sovereign power advances his word in and through his people. So Jesus' sovereign power advances his word in and through his people. Jesus must first advance his word in me and in you before we can then advance it and he can use us to advance it in South Florida. He's here. Though you may not see him, though you may not feel him, though you may not even think much about him, he's holding the entire universe together right now. He's providing from the very breath that you're taking. He gave the rains for the crops that provided your breakfast this morning. And God's laws are what provide the order for this universe to not spin out of control in unmitigated chaos. And most importantly, friend, God provides His Son, a Savior, so we can know Him and speak of Him, advancing His Word, the truth about Him. See, friends, He is speaking to you right now who may not know Jesus. You may be here simply checking us out thank you very much. You may be wanting to learn more about Christianity. What God is saying to you in this text is that he has brought you here this morning to experience his power and his authority. And I pray that he would open your heart to understand his power and authority and his life that comes in Jesus and Jesus alone, just like he opened the hearts of John's disciples in our very first power encounter in the text. So take a look at verse 1. 
as we examine the first of six power encounters. Point one, the conversion of John's disciples. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So what we need to understand right off the bat is the Apostle Paul is on the third missionary journey, somewhere around 51 A.D. If we can show the map, he's been walking from Syria, Antioch, Syria, on the right-hand side of the screen. And he's walking across modern-day Turkey, And he's going all the way to the left. He's going westward to where it says Asia. And if you see Ephesus right on the coast in Asia. So he's been walking for a while. And he comes to this city. It's a city of about 200,000 inhabitants. And 12 of those 200,000 inhabitants happen to be these 12 guys that God has chosen. Just as he chose you to have a power encounter with the risen Lord Jesus through Paul's proclamation. So Paul asks them two questions. Verse 2, he says the following. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answer him, no. We don't even know that there's a Holy Spirit. Well, immediately, what does that tell us about these men? They're not Christians. Because if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit because Jesus came to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, if Jesus is your Lord, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So immediately Paul knew that they were not Christians. So then he asked them a second question in verse 3. He basically says, so what, into what were you baptized? And they said, well, we were baptized into John's baptism. Hence, they're disciples of John. So what did John the Baptist teach? Some 25 years earlier, what did John the Baptist teach? This is what he taught. He taught that you must repent and prepare yourself for the coming of Messiah. So these guys are stuck in the Old Testament. They're stuck waiting for Messiah. And so Paul comes and declares Messiah to them in verse 4 and in verse 5 they place their faith in messiah we know that because paul baptized them he would never have baptized them had they not been converted and then in verse 6 we have this incredible scene where paul lay hands on them and very similar to what happened with the samaritans in in acts chapter 8 and they're filled with the spirit and this time like on the day of pentecost they speak in tongues and they prophesy so what do we see here god is certifying i'm in ephesus i'm in this pagan city i'm calling out a people for my own name and i'm going to begin with these 12 jewish men who were disciples of john but now they're disciples of whom jesus how do we know they're filled with the holy spirit friend if you're stuck in the old I pray you'd have a power encounter with the risen Lord Jesus right now. I pray his words to you this morning would come just like Paul's words came to these 12 men. I pray that you would repent of your sin against him. I pray that you would believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. I pray that you would believe that he rose from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can then repent and believe and be indwelt by the life-giving Holy Spirit. Would you consider that this morning? You've come to learn about Christianity. This is the core of it. And if the Lord gives you the gift of repentance and faith and the Spirit, then you need to obey His command to be baptized by all means. And I'd love to talk to you after the service. 
So here's the question for all of us. Do do we believe in his power and life-giving authority? Well, there were some Jews and God-fearing Greeks that were struggling with believing that. We find them in the second power encounter in verse 8. Point two, reasoning in the synagogue. So Paul moves on. He's now reasoning in the synagogue. And verse 8 says that he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly. This is the longest Paul has ever stayed in a synagogue. So he's there for three months. He's speaking boldly. And what is he speaking about? He's reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? If Jesus is the risen Lord... If these are six power encounters with the risen Lord, then what Paul is doing, he is talking about Jesus in in that he's talking about the kingdom because Jesus is the king who's inaugurated the kingdom. So here's a power encounter with Jews to see if they will believe that Jesus is the king, if Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, Eckhart Schnabel says the following. The kingdom of God is the reality of the fulfillment of God's promises concerning Israel's restoration and the salvation of the world, a reality brought about by the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus, Israel's Messiah and Savior of the world, and a reality that grows as a result of the spirit-empowered work of the apostles and the churches. But here's the deal. Paul declared this. Let me talk to you about the kingdom, my dear Jewish brothers and sisters. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. He's inaugurated. He's the Messiah. But here's the problem. They did not believe him. They refused to believe him. Look at verse 9. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief. Now, it's interesting. They did not believe him. But you know who was seated in the synagogue listening to Paul preach for three months? The 12 guys that had been radically filled with the Holy Spirit. So some believed, and there was evidences here, but some were stubborn. Though Paul reasoned with clarity from the Bible, they refused to believe. Oh, friend, friend, if you're here this morning... If you're the child of one of our members, if you're the teen child of one of our members, if you've now been in this church for 16 years or in your 20s, and you remain stubborn and continue an unbelief, largely unaffected by what I'm saying, perhaps a little distracted right now, I appeal to you, friend, please don't remain stubborn and continue an unbelief. Pay attention to God's word. Because the kingdom of God is a reality. It is the ultimate reality. You may not feel it, you may not see it, but it's there. You may not feel, you may not see the tax man, but just try not paying your taxes. You will feel him soon. Jesus is real. His kingdom exists. You breathe because he allows you to. Submit to his authority and power. Seek his face. He will provide you a provision and a security and order and peace in your life that you desperately want, that you're looking for in everything but him. The thing you're thinking about and doing right now, perhaps. So, Paul now moves out of the synagogue. 
Because of their unbelief, we read here in verses 9b and 10, and he goes to the hall of Tyrannus, or the school of Tyrannus. This was probably, point three, reasoning in the hall of Tyrannus. Tyrannus was probably a Greek philosopher. He probably had a nice building in the middle of Ephesus. And so Paul probably rented out the building, much like we rent out this building, during the times that Tyrannus isn't uh, using it. You like this? This is the international symbol for renting out a building in Ephesus. Okay. Because I'm from South Florida, it's always underneath the table, you know. <laughs> International symbol. Can I rent that building? Um, so probably, he's, probably Paul is doing his deal in the heat of the day, because Tyrannus probably taught when it was cooler. So every single day we find out that he's reasoning. What's he reasoning about, folks? He's reasoning about Jesus. He's reasoning about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's reasoning about the kingdom of God. And, and, and he stays there. Listen, he stays there for two years. This is unusual. This is the longest Paul has ever stayed in one place. He had stayed a year and a half in Corinth. But he's staying two years. And this is the great part of this text. This is the part of this text that should encourage us here at Palm Vista. It should encourage us in South Florida. Because Paul, by the power of the risen Lord Jesus and these power encounters, Paul has probably the most fruitful season of his life. How can I say that? I can say that because of the summary statement in verse 10. Look at verse 10. This continued for two years in the hall of Tyrannus so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Put the map back up, please. Asia at that time was different than Asia today. So Asia at that time would have been modern-day Turkey, sort of the the western side there. Greece would be across the the water there, the Aegean, the Black Sea is up above. So modern-day Asia, that's still a lot of people. See, the the word of the Lord is the gospel. When it says the word of the Lord, they heard the word of the Lord. It's the gospel. It's the truth about Jesus Christ. It's the truth that he's the Messiah. He's the king. He's inaugurated the kingdom of God, that he's the savior of the world. And this is the word that was made known to all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks. And the summary statement says that it happened over those two years. Now, you and I both know that there's no way that it could have happened through one man. It didn't. But it happened. And why do we know that it was such a fruitful season beyond this text from Luke? Because Paul himself said it was. Now, a little history for you. During the time that Paul was in Corinth, he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. So remember, Corinthians is over here in Achaia. Apollos is over there preaching and teaching. Paul had been there a year and a half. So during the two years that Paul is in Ephesus, just across the water, he writes the book of 1 Corinthians. So if we want to know what the two years were like in Ephesus, we go to 1 Corinthians. So when we go to 1 Corinthians, what do we read? We read this, 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. I believe I have a slide there. Yes. It says the following. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door. A wide door. I like that, don't you? Not a skinny door that you kind of kind of move through. Or, you know, a skinny door that you can't get things through. Or you're carrying packages, bam, a package goes on. No, no, a huge wide door. I'm thinking about this size right here, okay? You can just drive trucks through it, carts, camels, you know, whatever. A wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. I love that too. I love that too. 
See, this summary statement is telling us that this wide door with many adversaries, these power encounters are happening. The risen Lord Jesus is going to use Paul and others to confront difficult times, but God's opened the wide door. So go, Paul. Go, Al. Go, Palm Vista. Yeah, there's going to be adversaries, but I've opened a wide door in South Florida. I mean, we know that he first opened the door in Ephesus with these 12 guys that were saved. But over those two years, he continued to open these wide door with teaching in the synagogue for three months and teaching in the hall of Tyrannus so that, so that at the end of this period, Luke is able to write, and I don't believe Luke is lying because this is the Bible and this is true. This is true. Even if you were to interpret all as all kinds of people in Asia, if that's what you want to do, fine. That's still a lot of people. And the text tells us in the Bible that Paul had an incredible number of co-workers in Asia. And the text tells us in the Bible, we'll get to that one after the first slide, that there was a ton of churches in Asia. In fact, a bunch of them are listed in the last book of the Bible in Revelation 2 and 3. Let's just take a look at some of Paul's co-workers. I love this. First of all, I love saying these names. They just make my tongue tickle. So here is a list from Scripture of some of Paul's co-workers. So this is you guys. You, this is you. This is you. I'm not Paul, okay? Just think Paul's Paul. But this is you. This is me. We're his co-workers in South Florida. I love these guys. Aquila and Priscilla. Timothy. Epaphras. Philemon. Aristarchus. It's a good name. Gaius. Tychicus. That'll get you going. Trophimus. Stephanus. Fortunatus. You got it. Someone's got to name their kid Fortunatus here, right? <laughs> Come here, Fortunatus. Achaeus. Th- these are all, these are guys that, these are, these are some dudes, man. These are guys that are risking their life for the gospel. Later, we're going to see that he's sending them here and there. They're preaching the gospel. They're, he's going to say about some of them, they risk their life for the gospel. These are the guys that are probably hearing the lectures in the hall of Tyrannus. Spirit of the Lord's on them. They're saved and God's, and they send them out and they're planting churches. Speaking of churches, next slide. Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians 16, 19, says Mr. Schnabel, conveys greetings from the churches in Asia. What churches, you ask? Well, here's a list from Revelation 2 and 3 of the churches planted in Asia during his two years in in Asia. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philippi, and Laodicea. There was also probably a church in Troas, perhaps in Miletus, Magnesia, a tough place to be from. I am from Magnesia. And Trellis. So here's the deal. I pray that you are encouraged this morning, dear fellow Christian laborer, here in South Florida. God has so much more He's going to do through us. By His power, the word of the Lord will be heard in South Florida, and God will save His people in South Florida through His word in our mouths. It's the power of God, power encounters. By His authority, by His will, this is what God has willed. Amen. Amen. There are three more power encounters. And actually, these last three are pretty cool. There's some fireworks on the last three, okay? Guys running around naked with wounds. Are you feeling it yet? Are you seeing it? The risen Lord Jesus is exercising his power and authority to plant and to build his church through the conversion of his people to himself in the midst of adversity, in the midst of opposition. 
Probably two of the most spectacular power encounters you'll find in Scripture are following here in verses 11 through 16. The first, point four, is that God does extraordinary miracles through Paul. This is an extraordinary account by all, really, measure. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and, or, and, and aprons, these are probably items that Paul wore while he was working. So he would use the handkerchief to wipe the sweat off his brow. He perhaps had a, like a working apron to protect himself as he was making tents. He was a tent maker or maybe a worker with leather. So these were you. These were taken... Uh, that they had touched his skin, and they were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. I simply believe that, 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 that what's happening here is that every once in a while, God reveals his power and authority in spectacular public displays, and this is one of those times, and he did it, pay attention carefully, to validate Paul's apostolic ministry and the word that he's speaking. I mean, there's power happening in Ephesus right now. There, there's, there's, there's things happening in this city filled with magic and evil portions and, and evil spirits and people that are just afraid of the spiritual. Now, the next power encounter involves some Jewish exorcists who, upon seeing what happened with these handkerchiefs and this apron that Paul would have next to him, seeing what happens in Jesus' name, they want to use it as a magic formula. However, with disastrous results. Point five, Jewish exorcists defeated. Jewish exorcists defeated. So we look here in verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? It's the last thing they heard. (laughs) And the man to whom was the evil spirit, he just like went all Jack Bauer on them. He leapt on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them. I mean, this is like, they're just getting knocked all over the place. they, They end up running out of the house naked. I don't know if that's literally naked and wounded, but... It was quite the scene. You see, what happened is that the sons of Siva found out and the entire city found out, because it says here the whole city heard about it, you cannot reduce God to a formula to get the result you want. Christian, uh, non-Christian, you cannot reduce God to a little formula, a little rabbit's foot, a little, a little you know, santo that you put around somewhere so that bad things don't happen to you. Don't do it. It's not going to happen. He will not allow it to happen. And the sons of Siva found out that unless you have repented and bowed your knee to Jesus' authority in your life, you dare not invoke his name to cast out an evil spirit because they ended up naked and wounded, fleeing for their lives. See, there is power and authority in Jesus' name, but it is only for those who truly repent and believe. It is not for those who simply are looking for another good luck charm to make their life better or gain a result. Friend, you can't play God. What I mean by that is you can't try to fool God. He's God. He's all-powerful. He has all authority. What you can do, here's what you can do. What you can do is do what many in the city of Ephesus did upon hearing of the defeat of the sons of Sceva. Look at verses 17 and 19. Here's what you can do, church. Verse 17. 
And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Point six. We see here the conversion of a large number of pagan Greeks in Ephesus. A large number of pagan Greeks in Ephesus. There was real fear in Ephesus because of this report of the defeated Jewish exorcists. People in that city were enslaved by magic, evil powers, sickness, uh, these spells that would be spoken, these these secret uh, parchments that would have all these things you would chant over people and hurt them. And they were really afraid of the spiritual world. And all of a sudden, they saw this happen to these seven exorcists, and they feared that they would be attacked by those possessed by evil spirits. And, And friends, there were a ton of them in Ephesus. There was was no public health bill where the mentally ill could be interned somewhere. They walked around on the street demon-possessed. That could freak you out. And, And so they were afraid. But verse 17 gives us a beautiful picture of the benevolence and kindness of God because this is how God wields his power. This is how God wields his authority to save his people. In verse 17 after it becomes known to all people, fear fell upon them, but then the name of the Lord is extolled. And, and what we see in this passage, I believe, is that God gives salvation to the people that do fall before Him and fear Him, respect Him, reverence Him properly. Listen to David Peterson in his commentary on Acts. There was a widespread fear as people began to treat with respect the name of the Lord Jesus, which had previously been profaned by the exorcist. Do not profane the name of the Lord. This was a way of magnifying or glorifying Jesus himself, which presumably meant that more and more people began calling on him for salvation. The ignominious defeat of the Jewish exorcist by the demon showed the Ephesians that Jesus is a power that cannot be controlled. He will not act as a lackey for anyone who calls on his name. Schnabel in his commentary, I don't have the slide, it says the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled or glorified. That Greek word has a range of meaning that includes that. It indicates further conversions among the Jews and the Greeks in the city. And conversions, friends, that had serious elements of repentance to them. I love what Corey said. Conversions of people that counted the cost. And boy, what a cost. Boy, what a cost. So that these new Christian converts in verse 18, these pagans who would themselves practice magical arts as insurance policies against being hurt or trying to get their uh, business to prosper or had children, these people who now are converted, but they still have the books and they still have the parchments and every once in a while they're tempted to chant a little something or do a little extra magic to make sure, just in case, you know, Jesus doesn't work. I'll cover myself with what I think used to work. There's a message there for us, isn't there? You know what they did? Look at verse 18 and 19. They came out publicly. Verse 18. And this became known to um, verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. See, friends, in that day in Ephesus, much of the power of these spells and these books was in their secrecy. You never 
showed them to anybody. They said, no, no, no. I've had a power encounter with the ultimate power, Jesus Christ. I'm bringing this out to the light and divulging it. And so with us, friends. What's God calling you to divulge? That it might lose its power over you. And verse 19, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. If I understand correctly, one piece of silver, I think, was about a day's wage. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. They admitted their sin. The sin of unbelief and the power of the Lord Jesus and the authority of Jesus. They brought out their books and scrolls. They burned them at great cost. In fact, some people say the great cost shows you how many people got saved. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of people. That's a revival, man. Why burn them, Al? Here's why. Because it was an accepted practice of the first century Roman world to burn, to burn books in order to repudiate their content regarded as offensive, seditious, or dangerous. What is God calling you to burn today? What books lie on the shelves of your minds that are offensive to God, seditious to the local church, and dangerous to your faith, dear brother or sister in Christ? Get them out of the house. Make it public. Tell somebody. Because much of their power, as I mentioned before, lies in their secrecy. Expose them. Go to others. Confess them. Repent of them. And then burn them. Repudiate them by the power of Jesus' name. And have a serious power encounter with Jesus. I pray it occurred right now. Because verse 20 gives us a beautiful summary of this entire text. Look at it. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The summary statement in verse 20 informs us that we have read in verses 11 through 19 of God's power encounters through the proclamation of the gospel (coughs) by his people where God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, verses 11 and 12, where God defeated these Jewish exorcists that were mocking the name of Jesus in verses 13 to 16, and there, where there was public repentance of this magic and trusting and any power and anything other than God in verses 18 and 19. These all demonstrated the power of Jesus manifested in the gospel message. That power is the same today in the 21st century church in Miami and South Florida as it was then in the 1st century church of Ephesus. It's real power. It's the power of the Lord to cause His Word, the Gospel, to increase and prevail powerfully in the lives of His disciples and then publicly through us in our cities, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, on our jobs so that the church grows with a growth that is from God. It's not a growth from Paul's rhetoric nor ours. It's a growth and an impact of the gospel on our city and our region by the power, the sovereign power of Jesus Christ. Working in his people and then through his people. Let's just bow our heads for a moment to pray. As we bow our heads, ushers, would you please start moving toward your communion positions? I'd like to ask everyone to be quiet and still and show respect for the power of Jesus' name, please.
Lord God, I pray that you would come and have a power encounter with people all in this auditorium. God, I don't know their hearts, but you do. I see their actions, but I can't see their hearts. You do. Lord, would you please arrest them? Would you please give them the gift of repentance? And Father, I pray that as a church, we would see, have a power encounter with you. Lord, we'd see your power. We'd experience it. Your authority to establish your church, Palm Vista and beyond in South Florida. Lord, I ask you for this with all of my heart. In Jesus' name.